and welcome to PCTY Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson. During our time together, we'll stay close to the news and info you need to succeed as an HR pro. And together, we'll explore topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, and real life HR situations we face every day. On today's episode, I have with me Paula Davis. Um, she is amazing. She's got this great book out there called Beating Burnout at Work, Why Teams Hold the Secret to Well-Being and Resilience. Um, absolutely love it. I haven't read it yet. I'll be completely honest. It's on my list next. But Paula, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for having me, Sherry. So this is the season I feel like burnout, stress, pre-burnout, overwhelmed. You know, we're in this time. It is an exciting time. Um, you know, I try to avoid the the unprecedented term, you know, because yeah. it's, it's overplayed. But um, as we were kind of prepping for our call today, you know, something that you brought up, which I really wanted to anchor our discussion in to start off is what's the difference between stress, pre-burnout and burnout? Because I think we use the burnout term probably more than we need to, or probably more than is actually being experienced. Yes. So that's a fantastic question and a great way to anchor our conversation because this is one of the places where we go wrong in our discussion about burnout. So we tend to conflate or use interchangeably the word burnout with the word stress all the time. And I think that's just because, you know, over the years you get home from work and you're tired and you're like, oh man, it was a day I'm so burned out without really understanding what that means, right? It's just the general descriptor of how we feel. And oftentimes what we are really saying is that we feel exhausted. We feel just tired or spent or worn out. Um, and that's that's an aspect of burnout, but only one piece of the burnout puzzle. And so I always help people um, to think about like stress and burnout both exist on a continuum. So you just got your everyday stress. Sometimes we have bigger life stresses and, and different you know work stresses um, that we feel like we're able to meet, or sometimes we get thrown off course. Um, but when it starts to leave the land of stress and go into the land of burnout, there's usually three big dimensions that you want to be paying attention to. So the first one is that exhaustion, right? That, But it's chronic, chronic physical and emotional exhaustion. So we all have moments, days, weeks, even longer where we feel tired and just worn out. Um, but it's paying attention to that it's lasting, right? So I know when this process happened to me, when I burned out, it was like nothing that I did in terms of my usual stress management techniques was helping to fix the exhaustion that I felt. I wanted to disengage from friends, for example, because I would be playing co-ed softball or something with them and it would just feel too effortful to like leave my house or leave my office and go schlep my way over to the game. And um, and it was those types. So that's when I say exhaustion, that's what I'm talking about. It's just that it hangs on and it's not letting go. And so you might notice too, like the Sunday scaries. I know Sunday, you know, Sunday mornings rolling around and I'm already thinking like, oh man, I gotta go into work tomorrow. This is horrible. And you're watching the time as the day goes by. Um, so that's another, that's another aspect of that exhaustion piece. But then the second, the second big dimension to pay attention to is one that a lot of people tend to overlook. And that is chronic cynicism. So feeling this sense of annoyance, everyone bothers you. Um, you can sometimes be more snappy with people, certainly more judgy with people. Like you may be looking at your colleagues thinking like, do you know how much I'm taking on? It doesn't look like you're taking on nearly as much as me. And you can, you have more time for that. And it's just that it's really that annoyance and it can very much show up too in how you 
interact with your clients and patients and colleagues and and all of that, um, which isn't good, right? Because you're 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 at work tasked to help certain groups of people, and when you start to even if it's just internally think like, oh, could you just handle that on your own? That's not a good way to show up, you know, in terms of being a helpful problem solver or or um, you know whatever it is that you're tasked to do. Then lastly, the third dimension is what the research calls inefficacy, but I, I think of as like, why bother, who cares, right? You start to have these moments where you're like, you're not gonna listen to what I'm saying anyway, so what's the point? Or, you know, why bother, who cares? Or what is sort of, what is the impact that I'm making here? And, and, and you start to have those types of questions. And so, so those three, all three of those are really the pieces that need to be present to earn the term burnout. So it's not just feeling exhausted, it's all three of those pieces. And so that's how you know you've shifted into something other than just stress. Do you think there still exists out there a stigma around burnout? Absolutely. Uh, I work with a lot of professionals generally, but certainly if you are a professional and there's any sort of license attached to the type of work that you're doing, a lot of um, professional services folks who I work with, a lot of folks in healthcare. Um, it can feel, I think it's just generally not in our nature, especially as high achieving professionals to, to show a sign of weakness or what we perceive to be a sign of weakness to out ourselves and raise our hand and say, hey, wait a second, I'm struggling. Um, it's just hard for us to do that generally. And then when we think about what all of the other potential ramifications could be, if that were, if we did say something, I think it's just, it's, you know, certainly understandable that we don't, that we don't want to say anything. And unfortunately, and as I certainly learned, you know, from my own experience that it really can extend getting help and it can extend, um, you know, really putting some of the right tools in place to, to facilitate recovery or to help somebody and ca or catch burnout before it becomes, you know, a, a, a horrible kind of end result. Um, and the first step is, you know, saying something about it. And so we need to really up our game in the workplace around just normalizing conversations around stress and just, you know, challenge and adversity. Do you have any advice on, on how we can help facilitate that change and just make it more okay to, to start those conversations? So first and foremost, I always tell people to do a trust check. So make sure you're the right person to be leading the conversation, delivering the message, being that person who's interacting either with the, you know, somebody who you've identified as maybe particularly struggling, or maybe you're just talking to a group of people and you just want to let them know, you know, you got their back or, you know, if there is an issue, please feel free to say something, but you've always have to have that level of trust in place. So whether it's, you know, inter, you know, between two people or, more of the psychological safety or group trust that needs to be present really for people to feel like they're going to feel comfortable kind of raising their hand. Uh, and then second, something that's really important is intentionality. So whether you are maybe a leader who again is concerned about somebody or whether you are somebody who is struggling and you want to say something to somebody, Trying to be as intentional about that and specific about that as you can really helps. So if you're, you know, struggling on some level, helping to try and identify, helping, you know, for the HR person who you're talking to or your leader to say, you know what, for the most part, I'm doing okay, but I wanted to let you know, and maybe we can check in, let's schedule like every two weeks, maybe we just check in so that I can 
let you know and keep you updated about how I'm doing. Do you want to be potentially transferred to a different team? Do you want to be transferred to a different division? Um, do you need employee assistance program resources? Are you looking that, like for maybe a sabbatical or something that's an extended period of time off? So having some sort of sense about what it is that you're experiencing and what it is that you're looking for that you think might help, even if you're unsure, just kind of trying to ballpark it a little bit really, I think helps people be more clear then about what the next step can be and how I can actually help. So and then just being really intentional too about how the conversations happen. Um, and again, this can be started very simply as just, you know, putting it out to your team before a meeting or just having a conversation about that as a leader maybe being intentional about telling a time when you overcame a challenge and it doesn't have to be a personal challenge it can be a work-related stressor or what have you to model for everyone that this is you know this is what i went through here's how i overcame it that sends a very powerful message to the rest of the team in terms of comfort levels so so really um, i think those pieces are are important ones but just start small and just you know keep the conversation keep you know, talking about stress and checking in with your team just around the challenges they're experiencing, for example, is a really great first first place to start. You mentioned psychological safety, and that's something we talk a lot about in the HR space, um, helping our managers create that. You know, I, I think as HR professionals, though, we fall into this trap where we kind of know the things, right? We're reading the books, we're learning, we're coaching, we're teaching, um, but we have our own pressures, our pressures from leadership to succeed, our pressures during this um, dynamic situation we're in in the world right now, our, you know, our high intrinsic motivation. It often keeps us from taking care of ourselves. So from your perspective, what do we as HR professionals need to hear right now to be better? Sure. And I think if there's a concern around, first and foremost, do you feel like you're burned out or going in that direction? I think it's important to really try and understand what does that mean and what does that look like? Because burnout and stress exist on a spectrum and we're all, we can be all over the place. And, you know, depending on where you are, that's part of the frustration when I get asked this question, because everybody asks it and the true answer is such a lawyer answer. And it's, it, it depends and it's and it's frustrating for me to say that, but it, to a certain extent, it depends on, on on where you are in terms of the stress and burnout spectrum. And so that's always a good place to start. I I just wrote an article about this for my Forbes blog, and in there I, I ask some questions for people to kind of think about, just a little check-in quiz, for example, um, to help folks kind of get an understanding about that. But but then secondly, I mean, so there's all of the, the self-help and boundaries layer and stress management strategies and things like that, I think are important to keep front of mind, but that's a first step. So when you're really talking about burnout, you got to go a little bit deeper than that, especially on the individual side. So one thing I always encourage folks to, to think about is what are your resources? And as human resource professionals, you hear resources and you probably get sent in a, in, in a certain direction. And But what I mean by resources are what are the energy giving and motivational aspects of your work? So it's not we're not talking about personnel or finances or equipment or tangible types of resources. We're talking about feedback, community. Um, you know, what are your sources of support? What are your strengths? Do you know what your strengths are and are you using them on a regular basis because they're enormously energizing and fortifying and can be a great buffer against some of that exhaustion piece? 
Um, I talk a lot in the book about understanding your icebergs. Um, so your core values and beliefs about the way you think the world should operate. So if we show up to work as high need for achievement professionals thinking, if I can't do it perfectly, then I shouldn't do it at all. Or I have to always be in control or things will go wrong. We don't consciously think those themes, but they appear in our behaviors. And so it might make it less likely that if you feel like you've got to be in control or things will go wrong, you're not going to delegate as much. You're not going to set those boundaries. And so you're going to keep yourself in kind of an overloaded state. And so, so thinking about um, thinking about that is important. And I think it's also important to think about, you know, have, have you been in this position before? Have you felt stressed before? Have you felt challenged by something before for an extended period of time? And for a lot of us, the answer is yes. And it certainly wasn't maybe a pandemic because this is the first time we're all dealing with it. But, um, but think about those moments. How did you help yourself during those moments? Who did you rely on? What were your sources of hope? Um, you know, how did you, again, sort of rely on some of those strengths to get you through that? You know, what were some of the lessons that you learned and what were some of the outcomes that you can apply to this set of challenges going forward? So, so there's just a number of, I think, kind of interesting, um, deeper ways that we have to figure out kind of our wiring and what am I bringing to the table that is, you know, part of this equation that I can, you know, kind of think think about in addition then, of course, to all of the, you know, stress management, self-care type things. I mean, because for me, like I go running most mornings and if I didn't have that, I it really honestly keeps me sane on a lot of levels. So we don't want to, we don't want to forget about those pieces as well. I love the running. I wish that was something that was um, one of my skill sets that I use. It's one my husband uses. We were we were having kind of a lazy day yesterday. And, and in the middle of the day, he's like, I got to go for a run. He's like, I'm feeling depressed. And and I, I thought it was such a funny comment, but but not funny all at the same time. It's like he was just really aware of how his day was going and um, and used that as a tool. So so I, I love that because you mentioned like it's not one size fits all, right? It, it depends on, on your wiring and what, um, mechanisms you have in place. You know, as I think about us supporting employees in the work we do, and as we're making this shift to, um, I'm putting this in air quotes, but like back to work, do you think we've underestimated the stress that we're going to bring to employees as we go through this, this next phase? Most definitely. And the word that I, that I hear most frequently, and I was just having a conversation with a group of managers that I'm going to be speaking to in February, and they reiterated this as well. I mean, the word that I consistently hear and the word that they were telling me they consistently hear is anxiety. I'm, I'm worried about fill in the blank, right? I'm worried about, um, you know, and for a lot of people, they haven't necessarily been back to a physical workspace in what, a year and a half, longer than that. Um, it's sort of, and I didn't really think about this until someone sort of, you know, kind of ballparked it for me, but you're returning to a space in a place in time that might be very different. You may have had family members who have been impacted by the pandemic or COVID or passed away. And there are their pictures sitting on your desk because you haven't been back for a year and a half or two years. Your physical space just might be altered. Um, we left our workspace pretty abruptly a year and a half to two, almost two years ago now. And it's sort of a frozen in time, like little capsule of what the world looked like. And so for a lot of people, they could have had significant 
you know, life changes during that time, right? They, there may have been a divorce. I, I talked with, uh, you know, one person who said, you know, I, I did go back to the office. I'm not back full time, but it is the first day that I rolled in, they turned my office into a conference room and they moved my stuff over to one side. And so she was, she was just very unsettled by that, right? We don't, I don't think we appreciate what our space means to us. And when someone else is messing with it, like it's just, it's unnerving and we don't like that. And so, um, so I, I think about that. And I also think about um, just generally our cautiousness around um, health and well-being now and being in everybody's space again. And there's uncertainty around vaccination status and people have very strong opinions on both sides of the equation about that. And so you're now kind of being reintegrated and there's there's an uncertainty around kind of what all of that looks like too. And what are the policies and procedures are going to be and you know the great resignation on top of all of that right so there might be far fewer people who are coming back to a physical workspace and now you're concerned about like how, what does that mean for my work and am I going to be doing even more than I was because I already was doing a lot and there's just so many different layers of I think stress and uncertainty that you know that people are really thinking about and potentially facing and it's you know we got we, we got kind of used to sort of the new way of doing things and it wasn't all that bad and I could do my laundry at two in the afternoon and it wasn't a big deal and um you know we're, we're we're sort of you know we were thrust into this new world and now we're kind of being yanked back into whatever you know the the new version is going to be and so that's it's a challenge for for folks how do you think we fix that for employees? You know, how do we, um, I think you landed on anxiety. How do we lessen that? I think one of the best things that, you know, and I, I, I hear it oftentimes from a leader's perspective, but I think we all, everybody, regardless of title needs to, to be mindful of is just asking everybody how they're doing check-ins. We have to, we have to not shy away from feeling like maybe, you know, it's not our place to ask the question or, you know, what if I say the wrong thing or what have you, I think we just need to keep front of mind this whole notion and concept of belonging and how important small things like saying hi to somebody and just dropping in and, and just saying, Hey, how's it going? Or how you doing? Or let me sit down, you know, let, or schedule some time at the end of the week. And, um, you know, I want to hear what's on your mind and I want to hear how things are going and, and really just listen, right? So not putting our let's fix it hat on, but really honestly, just hearing somebody else's perspective, um, not getting defensive, asking really good sort of empathy related questions like, you know, walk me through your day. I'm curious about, you know, help me understand uh, those types of sentence starters, which I coach people on really promote more of a deeper conversation, right? I'm just here to hear your perspective. I'm here to listen, to understand. I'm not necessarily here to fix anything unless you ask me directly to do something like that. So I think it's just getting back to or starting a practice of, um, you know, those types of things, those human moments, those human interactions, and really honestly taking to heart when people are saying what they're struggling with if there is potentially a fix, if there's a policy fix or a programmatic fix or what have you, thinking very strongly about, um, you know, implementing something like that. But it just starts, I think, at the very, very basic level with just connecting with other people and making sure that that stays front of mind. As companies have been tackling this, have you seen um, 
any company just take, you know, a really radical approach at addressing this or, or maybe a, a really creative way of, um, you know, creating scenarios or programs or policies to help people avoid stress and burnout? One innovative approach, I will say, um, actually came from a law firm that I worked at. And it's so funny because it's usually the last industry that you think about innovation or like trying something new. Uh, but it was, um, they used design thinking principles. So um, design, design thinking processes and principles to bring all of their partners together to start to think about ideas for increasing well-being and motivation from both the associate or younger attorney level and the partner or you know more senior attorney level, and there were um, there were you know some interesting things that came from it. So I think sometimes, you know, taking advantage of some of those you know innovation methodologies, um, it was certainly not a place that I intuitively thought of going. But when you make everybody or you make a group of people responsible for um, the idea or they have buy-in to an idea, I think it becomes really sticky and really powerful. And so that was, that was probably, that's been one of the more innovative or unique techniques that I have seen an organization use to try and kind of tackle a well-being concern. It's always exciting to hear when, you know, certain methodologies are brought in and used in a different space than you ever thought of. And the innovation that comes from it. it, it totally supports, you know, different ideas, different backgrounds, you know, the diversity of thought and all that. Um, Paula, what's next for you as you are on your journey? What are some things that you're working on or, or ideas that you have that we should be following as um, people get to know your work more? Yeah, so I'm just, I'm excited to just to continue to scale and to grow my business. And part of Part of what that's involving is a really, really fun and great initiative that I've started an on-demand resource center. So I've just noticed kind of a gap in the market essentially around um, teams-based learning tools, things for leaders, things for you know individual contributors as well, uh, whether it's a worksheet that you can download, a quick you know 15 or 20 minute video on a concept, um, really building out almost like a library um, with quite a number of free resources for people to go to, to just get a quick tip or strategy or a something that they can use if they're feeling like they're stuck or struggling. So, um, so yeah, so the on-demand resource center at the stress and resilience Institute. So stressandresilience.com is where you can go to find all of those good resources. Awesome. And I will include that in our show notes as well. Paula, thanks for taking a few minutes to chat with me today. This has been um, actually refreshing in a, in, a, in a good way to remind myself um, and those listening that stress, pre-burnout and burnout is real and, and we got to continue to think about how do we address that. So thanks again, Paula. You're so welcome. Thanks, Sherry. This podcast is brought to you by Paylocity, a leading HCM provider that frees you from the tasks of today so you can focus more on the promise of tomorrow. If you'd like to submit a topic or appear as a guest on a future episode, email us at pctytalks at paylocity.com.